somebody uh, of world-renowned, everyone, everywhere. I'm kidding. He's, you know, he's like you and me. You know, he's just somebody that's made a huge impact in my life. It's a friend of mine, Rod Tucker, uh, and we've been close. He doesn't know how close I've been a few times to getting him to come here, but he's out. You know, he's away. I'm, I'm, we got somebody else speaking or whatever, but today I'm blessed to welcome him to bring the word to us. And I, I want to say, I'm not going to give him a big, crazy introduction. He's done a lot of work in the name of Jesus. He's grown an amazing amount as a disciple of Christ. He's grown me as a disciple of Jesus. And I'm just excited to hear God use him today and have him use him among us. So you want to come up, Rod? His wife, Anna, is here as well. And she'll be up a little later too, but I'll let him kind of continue from here. So if you would, uh, welcome my great friend, Rod Tucker. Thanks, guys. I actually am a world-renowned speaker. Just kidding. I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to tell some jokes. I hope they go better than that one did. We'll see. <laughs> and I like to set these blocks up on stage when I do preaching sometimes. The last time I did and set these up here, I totally forgot to talk about them. And they were just sitting up there <laughs> for about an hour. And then, uh, I won't talk for an hour this morning, but uh, everybody came up after and said, why do you have those locks up there? And I never did tell them. I just left it mysterious. But we are in uh, 1 John 4, 7. Never race someone who's speaking to find the actual verse because they have little Office Max sticky notes and they are there before you can even blink. So this verse is, I mean, when I was talking with Bill and he said, hey, can, you, can we talk about 1 John 4, 7? You look at the verse, man, and it is, I could say about anything I wanted and play it off as 1 John 4, 7. So we're going to go for it, um, and we can read this together quickly. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So, the odd thing about today, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this event because ultimately that would have, you know, people do that and they make a lot of money off of things like that. And my car is running just fine. So I don't want to over-spiritualize this event, but I want to say that God is here and so are we. And that, that means that some, something could happen. And I just, I want us to ask him to change us this morning. Because I think, I think that's what he wants to do. I think that's what God desires is for us to change. Ultimately to change our lifestyles. Ultimately to become closer to him. Kind of like the mission statement. And so if we could all just pray together right now. Um, and you can say this in your own words. I'll give it a minute. But just say, God, in Jesus' name, change me this morning. Change me. So let's do that for a minute.
All right. Did, did you know your life is incomplete? Did you know your life is incomplete? Because when you go to the kitchen and you want to make guacamole, you've got to go to your cupboard and you've got to get out a big bowl and you've got to set it over here and then you've got to get a big spoon and you have to get your knife set out and cut up your tomatoes and then you have to get different knives and unless you want to go wash your knife and you cut your onion and then then you have to take all these ingredients and put them in a bowl you have to mix them together and by the end of it it's it's just exhausting you know what I'm saying you're trying to make guacamole it's exhausting and then you have to wash all the dishes and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen as efficiently as it could happen. But if you had the magic bullet, if you had the magic bullet, your life would be complete. Because you could go to the kitchen. And I'm telling you, you go to the kitchen. And I've seen the infomercial, guys. You, they just set the magic bullet on there. They got a tomato, pop it in. Pop the avocado in. I don't even know if they peel the avocado. Put it in. Put the onion in. One, two, three. And just like that, all the guacamole that the heavens could produce at your table. And there's no dish. It's easy cleanup. You know, all you got to do is you wash the magic bullet. You're done. Did you know, though, that without the magic bullet, your life is incomplete. Did you also know, did you know that you have too many knives in your kitchen? I mean, you just have, you can't, you can't do everything in your kitchen unless you think you need all these knives, but you don't. You have so many knives in your kitchen, they're filling up your sink, they're filling up your dishwasher, they, there's potential to, to just to cut you and you're cutting the tomato with the extra long knife because everything else is dirty. But if you had the easy three set knife stainless steel, your life would be complete. Because you would never have to keep using more and more knives. It, 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 be, it would be simple. And imagine if you had those in combination, the three knife stainless steel blade set and the magic bullet. You could have so much guacamole and smoothies and it, it would just be pouring out and your life would be incomplete. Did you also know that you, your, life is, your life is incomplete because you feel sad sometimes? And maybe just, just not as content as you would like to feel. Or you want to accomplish things with your life. Or maybe even you can't pay your bills all the time. You know, that's difficult. Or mainly just, maybe just sad. Or sometimes you're afraid. And um, life is just not all that you thought it could be. But did you know that there is... There's this Jesus-shaped hole in your heart. And if you, if you take Jesus and you can just kind of shape him like that and just cram him into your heart, 
then you're going you're gonna to be complete. You'll be happy. You'll never be sad. I want, I want to draw that connection just, to, just so I can make the point to you where I'm coming from, where you're coming from, where we're coming from, is that we live in a, in a world that tells us we're messed up unless we use their product. And somewhere along the line, the church got that idea that, you know what, we're going to tell people that, that they're messed up and that if they can use the Jesus product, they'll be happy and complete. But the truth about the magic bullet is that, does anyone have a magic bullet? Is it everything you hoped it would be? This is not going the way I wanted it to go. Here's my opinion of the magic bullet. It's, a, it's another title we could call it would be the magic baby food maker. Maybe. Or the knife set. What, what is happening, and maybe I shouldn't use the magic bullet as an example. Maybe, I mean, it's that. But what, what happens with these, these products that we buy is that ultimately they leave us disappointed. And they don't leave us disappointed necessarily because they don't do what they said they would do, but the marketing for them tells us that they will do so much more than what these products have to offer. For instance, if you use Herbal Essences shampoo, you can get so much more than clean hair, if we've seen the commercial. And I can understand why someone would be disappointed with the use of Herbal Essences shampoo. And I can understand, even at a greater scale, why someone might be disappointed with the Jesus product that the church offers to everyone. And people say, I came and, and, I, and I bought into this idea, but my problems didn't necessarily go away. And so I'm not sure I want to stick with it. And we see these things everywhere. And so, what I want to focus on this morning in 1 John 4, 7 is what Jesus was really doing when he came to love. Because I think we have to pull our minds out of a cultural analogy and talk about it for what it really is. And so, this verse says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I mean, why do we love? Why do we love our kids? Why do we, why do we take care of the people who are close to us? And why, every once in a while, do we pick somebody up on the side of the road and give them a ride as far as Vandalia or St. Louis or... Why do we look for people who have needs every once in a while and try to meet those needs? 
why do we do those things? And I mean, there is a billion answers, but to speed the process up, what I'm going to say is we love because love comes from God and in a very direct way, we are born of God. Like, he's in us. And that's why I want to love. That's why I want to do the things that I do that make people matter to me. I heard a story about a colonel named Colonel Merson Gonan in during the Holocaust, and I think he was from Great Britain. And when the U.S. had finally invaded and taken over all of the death camps, they were going through these death camps and seeing people just dying and naked and starving and barely hanging on for life. And they had all these food supplies. They were rushing them in left and right. And he started going through the boxes and he found a box of red lipstick just filled with red lipstick. And he writes in his, in his memoirs that this was, he thought this was the stupidest idea someone could have had, is to bring lipstick. Like it kind of might have fallen in or something and, and was hauled. And later he realized that there was an innate purpose for this being brought. And it was that someone decided to love people where they were at. And we'll get back to that later. But one thing that I want to talk about this morning are three inhibitors, and I do not do good with points. Like in the Old Testament, if you wanted to make a point, you would, you know, strip all your clothes off and like chain yourself to a door and wail and scream and cry and, and everyone would understand this prophet wants to make a point. And nowadays it's very different. If you want to make a point, you get a selected sermon with all start with the same letter and you say all those things in key and everybody says, oh yeah, the five D's of dedication and and, and then everyone goes, <laughs> goes away, but it's very different. So sometimes I do well with these types of things, and I want to talk about three inhibitors to loving. Bill has connectedness, so he's going to be able to follow me. So, I mean, I'm going to be pulling from things, and, and you may or may not, but if you can get some things, that's good. Three inhibitors to love. The first one that I want to mention is dishonesty. First John is my favorite book of the Bible. And the reason it's my favorite book of the Bible is a passage in chapter one that says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and the truth has no place in our lives. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship. And if we have fellowship, then we have potential to love. I was sitting with a young man who at Greenville College had been really just busted bad for a deep addiction to pornography. And 
I was speaking with him, and I had these locks, and I call it, this is a sculpture I made a while ago, and I call it Secrets. And he could tell me his problem, the reasons behind why he did what he did, uh, the generational stuff with his family, where he was at, so much so that by the end of it, you're just like, I'm so sorry this happened to you, and I'm sorry you have this problem. And I decided to once and for all stop the manipulative language that he was using to diagnose himself and realize that he had a choice was I just took these locks, it's like 50 pounds, and I just set them in his lap and I said, you're gonna have to hold these, and I call them secrets, and I want you to look at them and think about all of the things in your life that come from your inability to be honest with yourself and with others about your life and your struggles. And he started weeping and telling me things like he didn't have fellowship, and he didn't even know his parents, and he didn't believe that God could even free him from this addiction. The best phone call he ever made in his life was to his mom and dad. And he spilled the beans. And he thought they would kick him out of the house completely. And they received him with grace. And I told him, grace comes with honesty. And now, although he still has backlash from an addiction that he has to understand he has a choice over every day. He has the fellowship of a community to overcome that. And now he will say, I do believe that God can set me free because that relationship was restored. But if you live your life in secret in any way, in any little aspect, what you do is keep yourself from being 100% honest or true. The second inhibitor to love is selfishness. And selfishness is the exact same thing as saying, my life is incomplete. I'm screwed up because I don't have Nike shoes or any product that the world has to offer. And if we live in a spiritual realm, there are going to be more products that the world has to offer than what God has to offer. And so we hear a lot of cliche statements like, um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And we, we talk about things like that. But ultimately, what we are confronting is the opportunity to live in relationship and the opportunity to invest in products that ultimately leave us unfulfilled. It's coming together, don't worry. We coach, I coach basketball at Greenville College and one of the things we talk about with the guys is the difference between the window room and the mirror room. And the mirror room is one who's concerned about their stats and their production and things like that in the window room is when you look out and kind of try to help your buddies. And we fo that, that's a very simple way of saying that we don't want you to be selfish. But ultimately, if there's secrets, then you can't avoid but being selfish. Even if it's in your house, if it's in, if it's in a closet, you know, if there's a, little bit, if there's a little fire in the closet, it's okay. 
it's okay taking the corner of that closet because eventually it knows it will spread through the whole house. And so I'm saying this intentionally, and I'm not sure I, I, I keep touching back to it. If there, if there are secrets in your individual life, not only will you not have fellowship, and not only will you find yourself being selfish, but you will find yourself with the inability to love and to see the world for what it is and what is happening. So I think to, to get away from all the bad things and say, what is the main example of love that we're supposed to follow? And this always takes us to the same place and we revisit it every Sunday and it's Jesus on the cross dying. And so if you're writing down notes, here's the one thing I want you to remember from me talking this morning. It is this. If I am to love, I must become naked and I must be dying. If I am to love, I must become naked and I must be dying. When Jesus is on the cross, we have the tendency to skip over all these things that are happening and say, he died for our sin so that we can go to heaven. The product, Jesus, died for us so that we can make it through this life and go to heaven. And if you receive him, you get that. Just like a, like a magic bullet or a knife set. And that's dangerous because when you look at scriptural analogies, Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life, or I am living water. But he never, he never relates himself to literal bread. He doesn't say, I'm a loaf of bread. He says, I am the bread of life. And he never says, I'm actual water that you drink. But then we read when he says, I am the way, all of a sudden, we want to reinterpret that as he's some kind of literal, Jesus is a way. He is the way to heaven. And it takes us back into exactly the same things that we try to get out of all the time, this product, and we are the consumers. And we purchase Jesus and he provides us with this thing. But I think when Jesus said, I am the way, what he was saying was, I'm going to show you the way to live. I'm going to show you how to do it. And so a picture of Christ on the cross, the things that I take from that are two things. He's naked and he's dying. And the point of being naked is not to like shock and awe anybody because nobody says that word. It's to say that from the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were naked and unashamed. And then this moment comes when they sin, and all of a sudden, bam, they realize they're naked and they're ashamed of that. And so they invest themselves into product after product to try to make themselves okay. They sow some fig leaves as if, you know, God's going to be like, hey, I didn't know I made part of you green. It, it, that's, that's not going to work. And, and so they realize that doesn't work and they hide. 
And when they hide and that doesn't work, they point the finger, even as far as pointing it at the devil. He made me do it. He's really been attacking me lately. I'm really down. And Jesus changes everything when he gets on the cross. And just, I mean, one of the ways I guess you can study the Bible is word translation. And so if you read Genesis 3, you're going to find two different definitions for the word naked, before and after. And the word naked before means simply naked without clothes, and after means laid bare and open and uncovered. And so there you have it. Adam and Eve realize we really messed things up because we see ourselves as ones who have tried to make ourselves complete through investing in this offer of this thing that would give us knowledge and we realize that it didn't do what we hoped it would do and now we're disappointed with that. And it threw everything into chaos. They can't even love each other now. They have to blame each other or hide from each other or they have to come into community dressed in some funny way so the other person doesn't say anything. And I do all those things depending on the, on the day or the week. But the point is that Jesus changes everything and says, hey, here I am. Laid bare and open for what I am in every single way naked before you and you can do with me whatever you want. And we kill him. He dies. And in that process of dying and taking all of that shame that we live with every day to hell and then coming back, Jesus says this. Bill, you don't have to live like this anymore. Anna, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to live your life investing into products that promise to make you more complete when the end result is hopelessness and the investment into more products that promise to make you complete. You don't have to live like that. Jesus actually came out and said, you know what? My yoke, or my teaching, is easy. My teaching's easy. And my burden is light. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to keep secrets because you're afraid that there's not enough grace for you in the community that you worship in because there is. You don't have to invest yourself into everything that promises to make your life meaningful knowing that it won't anymore. My teaching is easy. It's different. 
I'm going to show you the way. And the way is you have to be naked and you have to be dying. Why, what are we dying from? This. We're dying to this stuff over here that would keep us living individual lives and in secret. You know, I bought another magic bullet because I thought it would make me happy. And we can step into this place where I can tell you everything about me and I can live my life in a way that I guess some would say is authentically visible or visibly authentic. And I can be open and honest and laid bare before community, which I hear God is in that community. And then grace comes with that honesty. The connecting point for all of that with 1 John 4, 7 is kind of simply complicated. It's, it's, it makes sense, but you have to go around it a long way. When you're honest and when you're selfless, and when you're in a community that receives people in an unconditional way, so much so that you feel like you can be naked and unashamed, now you can love one another. Because I don't have to hide anymore. That's a difficult thing in a church because we have an agenda in a church. One of those agendas is sometimes growth and some of those agendas are, um, we have to make sure we believe the, the right thing and it, it all ends up kind of back in the same place. But what if I could come in and be laid bare before you and understand that grace comes with honesty? Just like the two guys praying. I'm thankful I'm not like him. Lord, forgive me because I'm not good enough. And which one receives grace? The honest one. So if I am to love, if I am to be born of God, if I am to know God, I must become naked and I must be dying. The third inhibitor to love, and this is, this is not a step-by-step -step process, but once, once we've talked about honesty and selflessness, it puts us in a place where we, we understand the fruit that community can bring and living in the light together. The third in inhibitor is ignorance. We just don't know. You know, if I knew, then I would be without excuse. And so we have the tendency to build communities where people are not only like us, but care about the things that we care about so that we can unite and step forward and feel as though we're accomplishing things for the kingdom of God because we can encourage each other in that way. And that is the same thing as dishonesty. It's just on a bigger scale. 
I'm not going to go into that anymore. But what if I told you? I mean, let me see, I got it written down here. What if I told you that this morning, as I was preaching, it's about 30 minutes, or I don't know how long I've been going. Every two minutes of my preaching, a child was prepared for sexual exploitation. I mean, what if I told you that um, 1.2 million children are being trafficked every single year, and that's in addition to ones already out there? What if I told you that things like sex trafficking are a $32 billion industry? We would, we would just kind of step back and read these stats and become numb to that because we don't feel as though there's anything hugely we can do in response to the problems in the world. And so, in, in response to that, what we've done is we've created a worship service that is about the music that we play and the type of preaching that we hear and the type of community that we have so that we can feel as though we're embracing the kingdom of God. And I think what Jesus wants us to do is die to all of that and open our eyes to see what's really going on in the world. If you want to find out what is going on in the world, get on the internet and just look. But I've recently come into contact with this, with this encounter with 1 John 4, 7 because my wife works at an organization called International Crisis Aid. They rescue girls from sex trafficking. They're based in St. Louis. And when I first read this verse, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Let us love one another. And I thought, oh, great. John's talking about, John's talking about how should the church love itself? How can we love one another? And the moment I thought that, my next thought was, well, who is, who is your neighbor? Who is the one another? And the point of me saying all of that is not to drive some form of guilt, but it is to say, if I can be honest as an individual, then I can perpetuate honest in, honesty in community. And if honesty can happen in community and we can look at our needs and our wants and we can be a church that says, you know what, hey, let's meet in a middle school because we don't need a building because our resources can be used in a way to maybe better further the kingdom of God where things are actually happening, where bad things are happening and the Holy Spirit is interacting with people in powerful ways and maybe we can take our community and somehow become a part of something bigger, something like the kingdom of God and we don't have to manipulate it to pretend that it's happening here and keep those little secrets and then go over to the next church and say, how's the kingdom of God functioning in your church? And how's the kingdom of God functioning in your church? And we can encounter it in a greater way because 
We've been born of God. So, I guess as random as some of that was, I would say, here is the deal. We are capable of love. And sometimes that love has to have some form of a face in order for us to see it for what it is. And so, I would ask you, if, if you close your eyes and meditate better that way, to listen to this song, and my wife wrote it, and this is by no means an attempt at non-profit organizational support. It's just to say, dear friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So, how does God want us to respond to a world and a community, even in Highland, that desperately needs his kingdom? How? And I can't, I, I can't answer that. But I can say, if you want to love, you must be naked and you must be dying. Tall and slender like her daddy Exquisite beauty he never gets to see Her hair is coarse and finely braided the smell of human on her skin She beckons strangers passing by her It's a small price and they go in Can you see Thank you. 
So I guess to just tie everything together, not to over-emotionalize a moment, God has called us to love one another. Who is one another? That you, you, need, you can answer that just as easily as I can answer that. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God. God wants us to be honest and to die to the very thing that the enemy wants us to consume with the hopes that we will somehow be more complete. So, with that said, I hope that in my prayer for me, is that, you know, somehow I can understand I'm capable of love, I'm capable of that, and pray that I don't get blinded by the things that would try to keep me living in secret or the things that would promise fulfillment. And somehow I can turn away from them and step into a world that really needs to see a transformation and understand that Jesus died for it too. Not so, you know, I can drive a better car, I guess. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for First John. Um, thank you for telling us to love one another. And I pray that we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen.